and then 11 to the end of the chapter. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a famine, a severe famine, arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray this evening, Lord, that you will speak to each one of our hearts. Thank you that you are here with us. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with each one of us, mould us, shake us, speak to us. By your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What a dysfunctional family in Luke 15 we see. It's quite similar to a soap opera from today. It's really challenging to find a family in the Bible that is not dysfunctional. It's so much easier to find a family with pain and challenges and upset than to find a family that is in harmony in the Bible. In Genesis, we just need to look just at the first book of the Bible to see lots of challenges for families. Adam and Eve had to leave their first home. Their son murdered his brother. Isaac and Rebekah play favourites with their twin boys, whose sibling rivalry becomes one of the worst in history. Joseph was sold to slave traders by his brothers, who told his parents that he was dead. The list goes on and on. And even in today our news, we see a brother this week has murdered his brother and heartache in families. I want us to look this evening very briefly at Luke 15. For some, it will be a very familiar story for you. For others, you may not have heard it before. Immediately, as we see in verse 1 and 2, Jesus' teaching constantly attracted the irreligious and offended the religious people of his day. And I think it's really important for us to look at the historical setting right here in verse 1 and 2 of why Jesus is telling this story. There's two groups of people. There's the tax collectors and sinners who are like the younger brother. They didn't keep the moral laws of scripture nor the rules for ceremonial purity followed by the religious Jews. And the second group of listeners are the Pharisees and teachers of the law, representing the older brother. They held on to their traditional morality from their upbringing. They'd studied and obeyed the scriptures. They'd taken time to worship and to do prayers. But something was missing. I believe it's in their response that Jesus begins to tell this story and it peaks with a really powerful plea about the younger, the oldest brother. When I was a young girl, I was really moved by this story. I loved this story. It was one of my favourites. But I doubt very much that the listeners then would have been moved and had their hearts melted. They would have been infuriated and irritated by what Jesus was saying. But I wonder how we feel tonight as we've listened to those words. Some, it may be familiar, and some, it may be a new story for you. I believe that Jesus wants us to see ourselves in the story, and I believe that somewhere in this story, 
each one of us are. I believe Jesus wants us to hope for home this evening. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to leave you with various questions as we go through this evening for you to reflect on in your own life. So often that's how Jesus taught. He left people with questions to go away and ponder. And that's what I would like to do this evening. The first question is this. I wonder tonight what condition your heart is in towards God. I wonder if there are areas tonight that the Lord is nudging you about, as I'm sure those group of people would have been nudging each other as they heard Jesus tell this parable. Jesus wants us to be transformed people, not religious people, but people who are living in daily freedom, in close relationship with him. But so often we allow ourselves to be held back or we allow others to hold us back from living the life that God wants us to live. In John 10, 10, it says this, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. That's awesome, abundant, amazing life. But so often for my life and seeing others, I see so many people stuck and at times stuck in the pigsty of life. And that's not where Jesus wants us to be tonight. I'd like us to look at the three characters briefly. The younger son. In Act 1, we see the younger son wants his inheritance. The original listeners would have been horrified by this, at this request. At this time in the Middle East, when a father died, the older son would have gained two-thirds and the younger son would have gained a third. We see that the younger son, he wants the father's things, the prestige, the goods, the money, but he doesn't want his father. He's rejecting him. He wants nothing to do with him. He wants his inheritance right now. And at that time, this would have been unheard of from the listeners. Let me pause for a moment and ask you a question to reflect on. Do you want a real relationship with God tonight? Or are you just after his stuff? Do you have a relationship with the Heavenly Father who loves you? Or do you just want whatever you can get out of him? And maybe you're keeping him at arm's length. The younger son in this story made several blunders. In order to live life, he had to leave his father's household. He thought that pampering his own desires would bring him freedom. Instead, it only brought him into slavery. But the most foolish mistake he made was in valuing his father's wealth and possessions over having a relationship with his father not realising his destiny and settling for far less, he was going into an emotional, mental and spiritual desert. 
to chase his own dreams, to end up in a pigsty, broken, empty, rejected, shattered dreams and disappointments. For some of you tonight, that will sound familiar. I wonder if you've ever been there. The listeners of, the, of, of that day would have been even more surprised by the response of the father. An ancient Middle Eastern father would have been expected to have driven the boy out of the home at such an ask. But this father responds totally differently to the culture of the day. Your land was very much your identity in those days and who you were in society and community. So to sell your land, which made up very much who you were, and underlined your identity was a big deal. If you lost part of your land, you lost your status in the community. And this is what the youngest son is asking. He's asking his father to impact his life and his position in the community for his own wants. And how does the father respond? The father does what the son has asked. He gives the son his inheritance, showing abounding grace. All the community would have known what was happening because the father would have had to sell the land and possessions to the local community nearby. And the son takes his share of his inheritance and off he goes to live a wild life. But he comes to the point in his life where he is in the pigsty, literally. So he comes up with a plan to go home. You know, for me as a Christian, home is not a place, it's a relationship I have with Jesus. It's where I belong and have safety, security and acceptance. Here the younger son longs to go home to that place, to be back in relationship with his father. The second part is the son wants to be able to pay the father back for those days. In those days, in the community, you would have had to go back and repay the money. The younger son had in mind that he would plead for his father but the father had a different response. I love this quote. On the path of sin, the wealth and freedom always runs out. Yet our blessings in the presence of God will never run out. He wouldn't even get a chance to use the words that he'd rehearsed. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father saw his son. There is a great deal in that word saw. He saw who he was. He saw him where he had come from. He saw the filth on his hands and feet and clothes. He saw his rags. He saw his penitent look. He saw where he'd been. He saw where he was. And he saw where he was going to, to be. His father saw him 
and was filled with compassion. And that is how he sees each one of us tonight. God has a way of seeing us that you and I cannot understand. And he sees right through us at a glance, as if looking through glass. He sees my mess, he sees my failures, my bad bits, my good. He knows our past, he knows where we are at present, and he knows the future. And he's filled with compassion when he sees each one of us. We can see the video clip, Lorna. What a welcome. What a response. As I was preparing for that, I was moved. Unconditional love poured out on the younger son. The father shows abounding grace and mercy to him immediately. The onlookers and listeners to this story, I believe, would have had their mouths open and lots of nudging going on. Why? Because ancient Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. It would have been indignant for a man of his age and status to run. It would have meant gathering up his skirts, showing his legs, and that was not the done thing to do in the culture of the time. And to top it off, the Pharisees must have cringed at the thought of this father touching the son who had been in, living in a pigsty of filth with the pigs, let alone throwing his arms round and showing compassion. The father here shows complete emotional abandonment. He runs towards him, and this is such a beautiful image of how our heavenly father feels and sees about each one of us. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, verse 21. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
It seems the father didn't hear another word. His son had come home and that was enough. The father interrupts him. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. A ring on his finger would have represented binding authority as a signet ring was a contract that could be signed. The son has said, I don't want to be brought back into the family. I want to earn my way back. But the father says no. It's by sheer grace he brings him back into the family. The question here is, has he not already spent the share of his father's wealth? The father in this story represents God. And he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. His wealth is ever-growing. We are called heirs of God. And no matter who you are tonight, God will accept and love you. No matter what you've done, when you surrender and turn to him, nobody is outside of God's love. So often the story, it ends in Act 1 as the younger brother but there's two sons in this story. And Jesus' purpose in telling the parable was not a sentimental message, but he wants them to look at what it means to come back to God. If we pick the story up in verse 25, meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't call him by his name or brother, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The older brother is full of anger, judgment and wrath. And I see so often anger, judgment and wrath become such a stumbling block to many. I've seen it in my own life. The religious elites have an over-inflated view of themselves and cannot fathom the cleansing power of God. Do they have love in their hearts? Can they see their need for forgiveness? The older son was so angry and bitter, he is now insulting the family name by refusing to go in and celebrate. This would have meant the whole community would have been there. And the fatted calf was such a delicacy, the Fortnum and Mason of food. His father comes out and pleads with him. And the elder son is saying verbally and non-verbally, I will not be part of this family. I am the heir and I will not be part of this. What an angry and bitter response. To me, it seems such a heart of stone. This son of yours 
He can't even say his brother's name or associate with him. This quote I read recently said, if you believe your good works and moral character earn God's favour, then your pride will keep you outside of God's feast of forgiveness. This was one of the greatest days in a father's life. And he's showing that in so many ways. But the eldest son sees the father is using the inheritance again and not for him. The eldest son cares about the estate, the money, the goods, but not the father's heart. Everything the father owns is now his inheritance. But he's making the father argue with him on one of the greatest days of his father's life. For me, the eldest son has totally the wrong perspective and such a hard and hurting heart. The older brother kept moral rules, but where was his heart? I believe our attitude as the older brother should be what Paul wrote. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. How does the father reply? He says, I want you to come into the feast. Does the elder son go in? We don't know because it ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> Act one, the younger son goes his own way, living his own life, and comes to a point when he knows he needs to come home to the father. And he turns back with a surrendered heart. Act two, Jesus has turned the tables. There are two sons, but both have been alienated from the father. They've both used the father to get the things that they really want. They both want the father's things. Wealth, status, money, inheritance. One son by trying to be bad, one son by trying to be good. You know, the gospel of Jesus is about coming home to our Father God who is waiting for us with arms outstretched. He's looking for soft, surrendered hearts tonight. The question is this, how is your heart? What condition is your heart in tonight towards God? and others. I wonder if you're far away and longing to return to his loving arms. I wonder if anyone needs to surrender unresolved issues tonight of hurt or hardness. One of my favourite verses in the Bible is from Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. How's your heart tonight? 
For some of us, we may be rejoicing tonight in a great place to feasting with the Father. But maybe for others, you're in a storm, turning or even driving a fifth gear away from God. Maybe you're disappointed, surrounded with unanswered prayers in your view. Maybe people have let you down and you have a heavy heart or a broken heart. Or maybe your heart was once on fire for Jesus, but the flame is now dim and it needs reigniting tonight. Your Heavenly Father is waiting for you right now. But you need to let go of the rubbish that you are carrying because it is not yours to carry. Jesus welcomes you home tonight and is looking out for you. So how do we come home? There's only one way home. And that is to turn and give your life to Jesus. We need the love of the Father that we see in a story. The Father comes out to his children. He kisses the one and he pleads with the other. The younger son turns back to the father as home is where the heart is. How can we not be moved by the cost to bring us home? Jesus paid the price on the cross by shedding his precious blood for each one of us. What a cost. What a cost to bring each one of us home. As a Christian, our home is with Jesus, where we will be with him for eternity, the place of complete acceptance, forgiveness, love and grace. For Jesus, he didn't get a royal robe or the family signet ring. He was beaten and stripped of his gown. There was no fatted calf for him at Calvary. He was handed vinegar on a pole. On the cross, there was no golden crown for him, but a crown of brittle, sharp thorns thrust on his head. God gave his son, Jesus, to pay our debt, our wrong, our sins, on the cross, so that we can be brought home, now and forever. Jesus shed his precious blood on the cross so that we can gain forgiveness. And he rose again the third day, conquering death and smashing it to pieces. I believe when we realise the cost he paid on the cross and turn to Jesus and say sorry for the past and we put our faith and trust and hope in him for our lives, we gain total forgiveness, freedom, acceptance, love, hope, security, eternal life in Christ. We come home. I'd like to end with this quote. Healing and freedom from selfishness is God's ultimate desire for us. Try as we might, 
that will not happen through all the various means we can devise to improve ourselves, but only by returning to the one who created us, who longs for a relationship with us, and who even now waits for us, who indeed sent his son Jesus to die for us. I'd like us to have a time of reflection. I'm going to play, ask Lorna to play a song shortly. And I'd just love you to reflect tonight on two questions. How's your heart? And is there anything that you need to surrender afresh to the Lord tonight? We'd love to pray for you. And if you would love to have prayer, if you'd like to make your way over to the sofas, then people would love to pray for you. Please don't leave this place if you feel that the Lord has spoken to you tonight. We're going to play a song and then uh, I'm going to come up and end in prayer. But just as we hear these words of this worship song, just spend a moment or two talking to the Lord as to where you are this evening because he wants to welcome you home.
Justice has been satisfied. He If you would like to have prayer, um, please don't leave. I'd love to pray with you. I know there's other people here um, who would love the opportunity to pray with you this evening. But let me close this time in prayer. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are a good, good Father who loves each person here. Thank you that you are filled with compassion for each one of us. No matter where we're at, you welcome us home with loving arms when we turn to you. Thank you for all you did on Calvary for each one of us. Be with us this week, Lord, in all we have ahead of us. We pray for our young people at Soul Survivor. And team, we ask, Lord, that you would have your hand of protection upon them and speak powerfully to each one of them. May their lives be changed this week for your glory, we pray. (coughs) Thank you that we can come and worship you in spirit and in truth in this place. And we pray for those persecuted Christians around the world tonight who can't carry Bibles down the street, who can't come together to worship. Lord, I pray that you would meet them in dreams, you would fill their mind with scripture, and you would fill them with your peace, and may they know your loving arms wrapped around them. Thank you for being here with us, Lord. Thank you for your compassion that you have for each one of us, that you want us to come home to you. Bring us home, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. I'd like to end with um, a song we were going to sing, but we've run out of time, but I just love if we could maybe play that quietly as people leave. It's called Abide um, in Us. It's a beautiful new worship song. If we could maybe play that quietly as people leave, that would be great. Thank you for coming this evening.